Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, thank you for the invitation to, to be here and to worship with you today. I'm, I have a pet peeve when speakers come to our church and they, they, they thank me for the invitation when I had, uh, I had not invited them. Um, but somebody did invite me today, at least one person, and uh, on your sign it says that everyone is welcome, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm going to start with two stories, one from last week and one from about 30 years ago. Uh, last week, uh, I traveled to the, com- the country of Colombia, and uh, before we left, uh, someone told us that if, if the weather is right, meaning if the powers that be are okay with it, we will travel in- into the country of Venezuela. I was pretty anxious about this. I had heard some stories about uh, Venezuela, and I was not excited to break all the laws in one trip and be illegally in a country that can be sometimes hostile. Well, sure enough, uh, on Friday, um, some of the group went into Venezuela. They came back, and I thought, wow, maybe tomorrow the weather won't be right, and maybe I won't have to go into Venezuela. Well, we, we decided that, yeah, on Saturday we would, we would go into Venezuela again. And I was, I was scared. I'm a fearful person. I think of pretty much everything that can go wrong uh, in any given situation. And so I was anxious about this. Well, we drove to the bridge. The bridge is closed between the two countries. And we drove down under the bridge in full sight of the Colombian military. They watched us get off our motorcycles. They watched us pay the money to the boat driver. They watched us get in the boat and we left. We got to Venezuela on the other side of the river. The Venezuelan border guards were watching us as we climbed out of the boat. And as we sat there and waited for the rest of our group to cross, they were watching us. And I was scared. I was anxious. I wanted to get moving. Well, we walked uh, to a village, and at one point, um, somebody who was walking with us said, don't look to your right, but the Venezuelan guards are looking right at us. And so, of course, I looked to my right, and sure enough, they were. At one point, we were right next to the Venezuelan military base, and I was standing uh, on purpose so I could see the the gate and we were praying for for a lady there that was very sick near death and um, I noticed that a big strong guard was walking towards the gate our direction and sure enough he opened the gate and he walked toward us Do you know what you do when a Venezuelan border guard walks toward you and you're in their country illegally? I'm just wondering because I don't know. <laughs> well, he, he kept walking. He, he let us go, but he, he walked within a few feet of us, and, and we, were, we were nervous. I, I'm here. I came back alive, so it, it went well. Anxiety is something that some of you are dealing with right now because of the uh, plan to ordain a deacon in the next few weeks. You're anxious about that. You're wondering how to deal with that. 
some 30 years ago, I was standing in the hallway of our home and I was telling my mother that when I grow up, I plan to be a baseball player. And I, I was telling her some things about my dreams, I guess, and she turned around and, and told me that she really thinks that I might be a preacher instead of a baseball player. And I thought about that for the next 30 years. But I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know who to talk to about it. At times I felt the call of God pretty real in my life to be a minister. But I didn't know what to do with it. So I'm guessing there's, there's some of you who are old enough to be deacons and, and you're kind of anxious about the next several weeks. And I'm guessing there's some of you who are 10 years old or 15 years old or 20 years old and you think that maybe God is calling you to be a minister but you don't know what to do about it. You don't know how to prepare. So I'd like to hopefully address those two things, the anxiety and um, not knowing how to prepare for, for ministry. And I'll kind of do that in a roundabout way, but keep those, those two things in the back of your mind. I'd like to first of all talk about the call to serve, the call to serve. And in that, I'd like to talk about four points, conviction, compassion, communication, and courage. I am leaving out one very important C word, and that is character, the character of the one who is called. I understand that um, Marcus, I think, will be talking about that next, next week. Well, caring for the needs of, of God's people has always been very close to his heart. Um, in Proverbs 21 and Isaiah 1, uh, 10 to 17, he gives clear instructions on how to care for uh, his people, and especially those who are less fortunate or have needs. And I think the intention was that no one would live in bondage. And of course, we understand that when Christ came, he came to free us, to set us free from bondage. Students of Jewish history tell us that there was always um, a system of distribution uh, to care for the poor and the needy. So we come to the early church, uh, the portion of scripture that Manny read in Acts 6. And there is a conflict the Greek widows are being neglected, and we're not told why they're neglected, we're just told that they were neglected. And so there was, there was conflict, the widows were neglected. And notice, as, as you heard uh, the scripture read, there was conviction and compassion, which compelled these men to do something about that conflict. There was communication. They effectively communicated the problem with the leaders and there was community restoration unity was restored it was a fair uh, the idea that they came up with was fair to both sides and the result was that there was a revival in the church and it especially mentions the priests coming to the faith so we pattern the office of deacon after these men who were appointed to serving to filling the needs of the people. And some say that this appointment was for this specific need at this time in this church, and it wasn't a long-term appointment. And that may be the case, but we, we later read in 1 Timothy 3 about 
the role of a deacon. I'd like to just say quickly that the office is not really what is important in being a deacon. The word deacon basically means to serve. It has a very heavy serve meaning, the word diakonos. When Jesus performed his first miracle, his mother uh, told the servants what to do. Same word, diakonos. She told the deacons what to do. She told those who were serving what to do. In Luke 4.39, Peter's mother-in-law, after she was healed, she rose and waited on them. She served them. She deaconed them. Um, it can be used uh, in scripture to serve a meal in John 12 and Luke 10. In broader terms, even soldiers were referred to as deacons, the same word diakonos. They served um, their master or the country. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you remember. And after he was tempted, angels came to him. And it says that they ministered unto him. They served him. They were his deacons. Deacon, to be a deacon simply means to serve. To serve. So in 1 Corinthians 5, we read about um, varieties of gifts and um, variations of those gifts. And then in Ephesians 4, it says that they were given evangelists, pastors, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the work of service, for the work of deaconing. Uh, some would say, um, I'm proud to serve my country, or I'm proud to serve some great cause. But nothing even comes close to being able to say, I have been called into service by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. That is our high and holy calling. Uh, this vocation of deacons or servants, servers. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Deacons have, have servant responsibilities. And I found out this pretty quickly um, soon after I was a deacon at our church, I think one of the first um, needs that I felt that I should get involved with was um, uh, Paul Fisher, who served in a lot with me. Uh, his child was at the Children's Hospital of, of Philadelphia. And, and so the plan was for me to call him and to tell him that I cared about his situation, ask him if there's anything I should do about that. And I had planned for him to say that, well, it's difficult, but I got this. He didn't get the memo of what I had planned for him to say, and so his wife usually helped him milk cows in the morning, and she was down at CHOP with a child, and so he said, you know, I could use some help milking cows at 4 o'clock for a week. And so the next morning I was milking cows. My first deacon responsibility. But deacons have servant responsibilities. And, and we had a good time eating donuts and milking cows, and, and a, a bunch of men from church joined in that. Servant responsibilities. I don't think you should feel like you need to nominate somebody who can speak well, or somebody who can lead well, a strong leader personality, but I believe that you should nominate somebody who is already serving well, 
A deacon is somebody who serves. Nothing mysterious takes place when you are ordained to the office of deacon. It's much like a husband and wife. The wife tends to think that every year she can change her husband in certain ways. And if you would ask my wife, she would readily admit that that's not necessarily the case. And so when you're ordained deacon, likely you'll be the same person you were just minutes before. And so when you, when you think about nominating somebody to serve as a deacon, nominate somebody who is already serving as a deacon, but hasn't been titled. One of the words that um, I think describes the, the role of a deacon is advocacy. Um, many times the responsibility of a deacon or a server to serve is born out of a conflict or a need, as we saw in, in Acts 6. And in that moment, we need to decide if we're going to be an advocate or if we're going to be adversarial. An advocate strives to maintain unity and dignity. An someone who is adversarial uh, divides and destroys. It seems like this growing church in Acts 6 had some conflicts that came with it. I find it interesting that the seven men who served, they served the needs of the people, but they also served the needs of the leaders. Their recommendation was accepted by both sides. And uh, in my few short years of experience, I think I've noticed surprisingly and maybe disturbingly that my gift of service can be taken advantage of by someone who I'm advocating for. And they can turn that into something um, that it's not like uh, I'm pitted against the leaders or I am uh, on a different side than what the leadership is. And so I think as a server, we need to watch out for that. We need to advocate for both sides to restore unity and dignity. I think um, a deacon, a server, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, fills a need in a person's life, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual need. And when those needs are met, a person can more clearly listen to the spiritual food that the pastor, who is under the direction of the same Holy Spirit, is providing. I believe that a deacon is an advocate, but it must work both ways. You advocate for both sides. Sometimes I think that God exists in three persons for the simple reason of modeling unity to the church. And I think that he designed different roles within the leadership of the church to model unity to the congregation. And he demands unity of all believers so that the world may know that there is a God in heaven. So we see in Acts 6 that the deacons were chosen from among the people uh, and approved by the elders. I believe the church should be pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregation-approved. Also notice that the deacons were a, a tremendous tool in evangelism. I believe that advocacy promotes unity, and the community will notice and be drawn to Christ. It's my honor as a deacon, as a server, to promote unity in the church by understanding what the needs are and communicating them effectively with leadership and then being willing to fill those needs 
under the direction of the leaders. Did you know that even Jesus came to serve? He didn't come to be ministered to, but he came to minister, to serve. He came to be a deacon. I'm very proud of being a deacon. I think it is the highest calling that one can have on this earth because even Jesus came to serve. Now, how do we receive this call? If it's such an important call, um, it's such a noble call, how do we receive this call? Well, uh, some like Abraham, uh, Moses, and Joshua, God spoke to them directly and called them. Some like David, God revealed uh, through the prophet Samuel. In the New Testament, there's examples of men who are called into positions of leadership. In Acts 13, um, we can read that they were called by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, they were called by use of the lot. In Acts 6, they were called by appointment, or they were uh, appointed by the leaders. And in Acts 9, Paul was uh, called by divine encounter from God. And I, I'll say that um, the method of the call, I don't think, is as important of the, as the character of the one that is being called. Um, we, we place a lot of emphasis on the lot. And I think that that, um, well, I'll just say that in Esther's time, the lot was used to determine which day the Jews would be killed. The lot in and of itself is, uh, is not that significant. But the character of the one who is called is by virtue of the one that he is serving. Now my understanding that for your church, the call to serve in this uh, official capacity as deacon will come through the voice of a church, the church, and if there's more than one brother, then, then a lot will be used to determine who fills the role for this congregation. And by that method, you will uh, know who will receive the call to serve. But, as believers, all of us have received the call to serve. Some of us are given a title and some of us are not. But the call to be a deacon, the call to serve the body of Christ is for all believers. And so while there is a specific position here within this community of believers that, that you're looking to fill, the call to serve, the diakonos, is not simply for that one individual or couple, but the call to serve is, is for all of us. And we do that because Christ gave us the example of serving. He came to serve. So turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, This is a true saying. If a man desired the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A good work. And I'll just, um, I'll just quickly say that um, there's four or five different um, terms uh, given uh, to leaders in, in the Bible. Uh, we see elders, um, bishops or overseers, shepherds or pastors, and each of them is a descriptive term uh, used for a different uh, reason possibly, but basically they're, they're interchangeable 
um, different translations from the same from the same Greek words into the English language. So first of all, we see here in 1 Timothy 3 that the calling is a worthy calling. It's a true saying. Um, this is a faithful saying. It's an important point. It's a foundational truth, a creedal statement. Paul and the early church put great value on the leadership of the church. So this is, this is foundational. This is a creedal statement. If a man desires the office of an overseer, he desireth a good work. And Paul is saying this at a time where church leaders were, were hunted. Um, they were uh, brought before um, the powers that be and were, were persecuted. Second thing is it's a compelling calling. It says, if a man desire... And this word desire stems from two Greek words, which, which basically uh, mean that um, it's, it's like having an inner passion that's felt so keenly that it causes you to, to reach for something. It's also the picture of a mountain forming out of the tremendous pressure that's under the ground, causing the mountain to rise out of that pressure. It's, it's a man who desires He's compelled. He has passion. He's compassionate. Um, and some will reach for leadership for what it can give to them or for what they can get from it, but not from an inner compulsion or passion. Someone once said, if you want to know if you are called to lead, quit. If you can, if you can't quit, you're compelled by an inner desire that leads you. And so a leader is somebody who um, is compelled by an inner compulsion to, to lead by example. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Another thing we see is it's a noble calling. It's a high calling. It's a noble, excellent, high quality work. It's the highest calling. Oversight of the church is a tremendous responsibility. Uh, we could read Hebrews 13, 17. Uh, James 3, 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The responsibility to lead, preach, teach, pray, feed the flock, establish church policy, and ordain others, and to serve the needs of the church is a high calling. Listen to what Cotton Mather, a 17th century Puritan, said about the high calling to minister to God's people. He ministered in, in Boston. He says, the office of the Christian ministry, rightly understood, is the most honorable and important that any man in the whole world could ever sustain. And it will be one of the wonders and employments of eternity to consider the reasons why the wisdom and goodness of God assigned this office to imperfect and guilty man. The great design and intention of the office of the Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men to display in the most lively colors and proclaim in the clearest language the wonderful perfections, offices, and grace of the Son of God, and to attract the souls of men into a state of everlasting friendship with him. It is a work which an angel might wish for as an honor to his character, yea, an office which every angel in heaven might covet to be employed in for a thousand years to come. It is such an honorable, important, and useful office that if a man be put into it by God and made faithful and successful through life, he may look down with disdain upon a crown and shed a tear of pity on the brightest monarch 
on earth. Now we wanted to get into the four uh, tools or um, necessary ingredients, I believe, that, that servers, servant leaders should possess. Conviction, compassion, communication, and courage. First of all, we serve from conviction. We serve from conviction. Um, you can, uh, we can look at the, the example of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah uh, rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Remember that story? He asked Han and I uh, about the Jews who were living in Jerusalem, and he got the report back that they were living in reproach and affliction, and, and Nehemiah sat down and he wept. He mourned and he fasted and he prayed, and he reminded God of the covenant he had made with his people and uh, of the provisions that he said he would provide uh, for them. Nehemiah was moved with compassion for the Jews. And from the beginning of the project to rebuild the wall, there was opposition. But the, Nehemiah and the, and the people persevered. The people rallied behind their leader, at least in part because of the deeply held convictions that he communicated to them. They all pitched in and built the wall, and it was, it was completed in 52 days. Now, not only did Nehemiah build the wall, um, but he got rid of the corruption uh, that the rulers and nobles had been exercising. They were, they, were, they were putting their own people in bondage. And Nehemiah was, was compelled. He felt compassion. He was convicted to, to uh, enter this conflict and to restore community uh, to, the, to the people of, of Israel, the Jews there living in Jerusalem. But where did Nehemiah gain the conviction to lead so effectively? Well, uh, when everything was done, they read from the law. Nehemiah understood that conviction comes from the word of God. He understood that turning away from the word of God was what got them into trouble in the first place, led them into captivity in the ruin of Jerusalem. And he was so convicted that his job was not done until he had built the wall, he had removed the corruption, and the word of God was restored to its rightful place. It was understood and obeyed. Nehemiah is a great example of, of a servant leader who developed deep conviction to serve by understanding the word of God. I think that we, we can and we must um, develop and strengthen our conviction to serve by being immersed in the word of God. Another uh, thing that is necessary is compassion. You've all heard it said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and Jesus, our uh, example of servant leadership, was compassionate. Over and over again, he is described as being compassionate. In Matthew 9.36, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He can feel for us. He's compassionate toward us. In Mark 5, Jesus heals the demoniac. And after he was, the demon was released, the man wanted to follow Christ. But Jesus said, go and tell your community about the great mercy or compassion that you have received. In Mark 3, Jesus entered a synagogue and he was grieved. He had compassion for the people there. Uh, in Mark 1, he was moved with compassion. 
And there's many, many other examples of Christ, our servant leader, being full of compassion. He told stories to describe how we should be. The Good Samaritan had compassion on his enemy. The loving father had compassion on his wayward son. Imagine how different our world would be if more leaders in our country and in our community and in our churches and our families would lead under the mantle of compassion and humility. As leaders, we follow the example of of our loving Savior. We should lead with a heart of compassion. If you have been the beneficiary of the deep compassion of our Lord and Savior, and if you say that you have been blessed by his compassion for humanity and the lost, then by all means, allow that compassion to flow as freely from you to others as it has from Christ to you. Another thing that a servant leader needs to possess is communication. A leader is one who sees a need, can formulate a plan or a vision, and communicate this clearly to others. Um, Leadership is communication, and communication is leadership. And remember, I'm not just talking about people who are ordained. I think all of us should be servant leaders, every single one of us by virtue of the one that we serve. We should be servant leaders, and that takes communication. Communication is where leadership happens. Uh, As Christians, our passionately held convictions need to be communicated. Um, So in that sense, we are all leaders. Someone has said that a leader's most essential skill is the the ability to communicate. When Moses was called by God, he gave one reason for not being um, able to do that. His poor communication. It seems like um, as a deacon, there's sort of an ever-expanding list of, of tasks and responsibilities. But I think as a servant leader, there's one duty that stands out above the others, and that is communication. Without communication, leadership does not take place. A leader can have the most brilliant strategy and the clearest vision in his mind, but until he communicates that with those who are following, it doesn't work. Leadership doesn't happen. And we often try to contrast communication with action. Uh, I, have, I, I think I have uh, servant uh, gifts, and I like to be active. I like to do something. I don't like to sit in a meeting for three hours and discuss various issues or topics. I would rather, uh, I would rather even go milk the cows, I think, at four o'clock in the morning. But we like to do stuff, and I think, especially for us servers, we need to develop our ability to communicate. Communication is action. They're not inseparable. They are tied together. Uh, a leader will spend more time communicating than any other activity. Mark Twain once said that the difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. Being able to communicate clearly is important as, as a leader. And it's something that um, as deacons or servers, where a lot of times uh, people who are gifted servants are not necessarily naturally gifted communicators. You can ask my wife about that. She'll be glad to. Um, fill in those details. 
a lot of times communication is, is a weak point for us. But I'm amazed at how often um, I've needed to use communication in my role as a server. Um, maybe something happens in our congregation that gets reported to the police. Uh, maybe we need to communicate and try to restore and rebuild. Uh, a hospital visit, we try to say encouraging words. We do that by communicating. Uh, at funerals, we communicate with the family. Uh, any visitation is communication. Uh, maybe we're helping someone work through financial needs. It takes a lot of communication. Reconciling brothers who are at odds takes communication. The effective leader communicates clearly and consistently. Uh, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 that he didn't come with lofty words and um, plausible words of wisdom, but he came in the spirit and power. Um, Paul's desire was not to impress with his words, but to clearly communicate. And so uh, I think as servant leaders, we need to develop clear communication. Jesus communicated constantly with his disciples over and over again. Again, this can be a challenge for, for those of us who are uh, servers. Um, but we, we, we need to develop uh, clear, concise communication. And it's something that, that we can develop over time. The last thing I want to talk about is uh, the courage to lead. The courage to lead. And uh, for that, I'm going to be looking at Joshua chapter 1. And you can turn there and follow after as I uh, go through the first nine verses. But these, these next four points, I think, are, are important. Um, because without courage, uh, we can't lead well. We can't serve well. And I would just like to say that, first of all, courage comes through recognizing God's will. Recognizing God's will. And I'll read uh, Joshua 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I give unto them, to the children of Israel, to the children of Israel. Now that, that is some clear direction. God told Joshua, okay, Moses is dead, but you need to get up and get going. So Joshua received courage through recognizing God's will. Um, knowing God's word, the clearly revealed word of God, is foundational for finding strength and courage for any area of ministry. And without this understanding, we hardly... Uh, have the motivation or courage to move toward ministry, to move toward service. You know, Moses, um, when he was in Egypt, he decided that he's going to identify with the children of Israel. And um, he attempted to lead from his desire and his abilities and his power and, and, and not from a proper understanding or a proper call, understanding the will of God. And, and he took things into his own hands. And it was not gracious communication, but it was brutal um, murder when he killed the Egyptian who was harassing his fellow Jew. But sometimes as leaders, when we take things into our own hands and we don't follow the will of God, it becomes brutal assault rather than gracious communication. 
But notice how Moses found courage after he had received clear direction from the Lord as to how to lead these, these folks. And he was, uh, went from Moses the murderer to Moses the meekest man after he had that direction, after he met with the Lord. Poor leadership is following my own ambitions while godly leadership is, is serving as we follow our leader, Jesus Christ. So knowing the word of God will compel us to service for the bride of Christ, whether or not we have been titled or named to a specific role or function within the church. Courage, uh, Joshua also received courage to serve through resting in God's promises, verses three through six. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now this is God speaking uh, to Joshua, clearly revealing to Joshua what is about to happen. And I don't think this is the first time that Joshua heard these words, but uh, our loving Heavenly Father gave them to him once more to increase his courage. For the believer, knowing and meditating on the promises of God builds courage to lead. Regardless of the obstacle, God's will had been clearly made known to Joshua. He needed to act in faith to the Lord's promises. The promises of God will carry you and provide courage for you. The third place that Joshua found courage to serve came from renewal in God's principles. Verses seven and eight. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Successful ministry, according to the biblical definition, is ultimately related to solid Bible teaching and study, rather than our human methods or techniques or strategy, which we often resort to. The word of God is powerful and able to produce godly change in a, in a believer's lives as it motivates, encourages, and gives hope and direction. So Joshua found courage to serve by renewal in God's principles. And we need to do the same. Time in God's word, quality time and diligence in God's word will bring courage to God's servants. Courage to lead comes from flooding our lives with and being immersed in the written word of God. The fourth place that Joshua found confidence to lead and to serve came through relying on God's presence. In verse 9, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, 
the phrase, have I not commanded thee, is significant. The important point is, is I. I am with you. Have not I commanded you? Uh, it's the source of the command and the promises. And these two words, the Lord and your God, are, are interpreted from Yahweh and Elohim. And they both give the idea of God's presence, God's presence with us. And these words stress the very nature of the one who is, is giving the command. And uh, the secret, I believe, to boldness and courage is awareness. For Joshua, it was the awareness of God's presence, his provision and presence, um, especially as the one who promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Compare the fear of the disciples before they experienced the presence of the resurrected Christ and the promise of his never-ending grace with the boldness they displayed in Acts 4 after they had received the Holy Spirit. The difference for the disciples was understanding and realizing the presence of Christ, God with us. These men were now confident to lead and to serve because of God's presence. When the Holy Spirit is in control of a man's life and is instructing him in God's word, he imparts not a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. 2 Timothy 1, 7. So Joshua received courage by recognizing God's will, resting in God's promises, renewing himself in God's principles, and realizing or relying on God's presence. Notice the outcome in verse 8. His conviction in verse 8 and his courage in verse 9 led to clear communication in verses 10 through 15, which led to cooperation and committed followers in verses 16 through 18. I'd like to close with just a few thoughts. If you're like me, you, you kind of cringe a little when people talk about leadership, especially um, if somebody like me says they enjoy being a deacon. That sounds strange and proud and arrogant. And we... Yeah, we find it difficult to have necessary discussion on, on how to prepare for leadership because it just seems proud if somebody says that they want to be a leader. They want to serve. They enjoy serving. Serving is fun. Um, yeah, traditionally, that's not been a part of our vocabulary, but it needs to be. So if you're feeling a bit weird about all this, I, I understand that. I, I get that. It's a little weird for me to talk about it. But I think we should take heart to the words of Christ to his disciples in Mark 10. Verse 42, he says, You know that they which are accounted to rule over you, to rule over the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And there's the word deacon. Service. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant. Same word, deacon, diakonos, server. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve, diakonos, to be a deacon, to serve us, and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, maybe you feel the call of God to lead in some role or another, but you feel overwhelmed in how to prepare for that particular role. Not a problem. Just begin by serving. The message is clear. The kingdom of God, the rules are reversed. If you want to be great, serve. 
If you have aspirations to lead, serve others. So one thing we can do to prepare for, for leadership is serve. The other thing that we do is immerse ourselves in God's word. This will build conviction, compassion, and courage to follow the call of God to be a servant leader. For even the king of kings did not come to be ministered to, but to serve a fallen humanity in the greatest way possible, a sacrificial death. Obviously, we are not all called to positions of leadership, but all of us should be leaders by virtue of communicating our passionately held convictions born out of an understanding of God's plan and purpose for our lives, believing his promises and trusting who he is. So God bless you as you move into the next several weeks, and I pray that your anxiety would be low and that your courage would be high as you um, find God's will for your lives here at this church. Please kneel.